All right, so tonight's going to be long. Uh, that's your warning. It's going to be long. It's going to be a lot of scripture. I don't know if you saw that I wrote it on the board, and a lot of the scripture are chunks of scripture. And it's going to get kind of deep into theology. But we're not really here to have theology class. If we were doing that, we'd be, you know, paying tuition for that. And so stick with me, I guess. But also, like, don't treat it like, oh, I just have to stick through the theology to get to the point. Because this is important. And this is, honestly, like, the entirety of our worldview and our culture and the way it gets in the way of us reading the Bible and interacting with the Spirit of God. And so... Also, please don't tell yourself, like, oh, this is too far above my head. I know it's really easy to do that, especially when you're, like, new to the faith. Or you're not really new to the faith, but you've kind of realized, oh, I'm not nearly as mature in the faith as I thought I was. Or maybe I, a lot of other people are at this point. Uh, God's going to give you what he needs to give you and let the rest be seeds. And I think we do ourselves, but we do one another a disfavor when we say like, oh, they're not going to be able to handle that. They're too young of a Christian. So all that said, we're going to get started. We're going to talk about Elohim. Uh, and the word Elohim is Greek, or nope, it's Hebrew. I'm so sorry. <laughs> the word Elohim is Hebrew and it's for God, but it's actually for gods. Like the I am at the end makes that plural, uh, but it works a lot like sheep, like it goes either way and it's a lot about context. Uh, the Greek word for God is theos. It does the same thing, but a lot of times this word Elohim gets translated as both theos and pneuma, which is spirits. So we're going we're gonna to talk about what that means. The fact that, like, uh, I think we've read the verse of our God is the God of gods, like three teachings in a row. We're going to read it again later. Um, and we're going to talk about what that means and how our culture views it, but more importantly, you can't really read a text. I know, this is the English major in me. You can't read a text and not talk about the audience and the author and look at their perspectives. And so tonight, that's what we're going to get at. We're going to get at what does it mean, what have we lost? And we're going to start with some background. We're going to hit Genesis 11, 1 through 9. This is the Tower of Babel. It's not going to make sense at first how it has any connection to anything I just said about gods. And I know that. <laughs> I promise we will get there. Um, somebody else want to read this one, actually? Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there, go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from the earth, from, from there, over the face of all the earth, and they left off, they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. All right. Tower of Babel. Man gets prideful. Humankind gets prideful. Hubris builds a tower, wants to be God. And God says nothing will be impossible, and he disperses them over the face of the nations. 
We actually got two hints at the Elohim in the middle of the scripture, and if you don't know to look for it, you would miss it. Um, one is behold, who's God talking to? Because he's not talking to us. And the second is come, let us go down. Okay, who's the us and why are they above heaven? Right? You get the same language um, in the creation story. Let us make man in our image. And I think we're going to, I'm not going to read those because that's literally all you need to know is what I just said out of that scripture. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but I just want to point out that it is also in the underlying scripture as much as we miss it or just read through it, honestly. Deuteronomy 32, 8 through 9. This is going to bring the importance of why we just read the Tower of Babel in, though. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. When the Most High God gave to the nations their inheritance and divided mankind. Babel. Does that... I, I, honestly, it's really easy to like read that, especially like in the context, and just be like, yeah, when the Calvinist God that we all believe in decided what nations would look like for the rest of all time, this happened. And we just kind of read through it. We also read through the sons of God. And the sons of God are a actually particular set of Elohim. We're going to read the scripture about that in a second. Um, and you'll read other versions of this text that don't say sons of God. They say sons of Israel. A lot of scholars have issue with that. I have issue with that. First of all, it doesn't use the Dead Sea Scrolls. Dead Sea Scrolls is um, the oldest and closest to the original text that we have. And I will English major again. If you're not looking to preserve the point of the author, you're not really studying. You're just kind of there to enjoy it. It's kind of like reading Shakespeare modernized. Like, it's fine to enjoy Shakespeare, but you're not studying Shakespeare if you're not reading it in the English it was written in. And so there's that. But then there's also the point that it can't really be the sons of Israel, because first of all, there's more than 12 nations of people and there are 12 sons of Israel. Uh, and second of all, Jacob in the next sentence is Israel. Same, same person, same, same dude. And he belongs to God. He didn't get split up. And so this context is the point of Psalm 82. We'll read the whole thing. I'll read the whole thing. It's only eight verses. Though. Like, it's not. I know I said the whole thing. Like, it was a big deal. Um, but these two sets of verses are the context for Psalm 82. I think that's hopefully obvious thinking about it in context. But that's also something I know out of a book. Um, the Unseen Realm, Dr. Michael Heiser. If you want more of this, like, you, if you want to see, like, this deep theology unravel the entire Bible for you and change the way you live your life and the way you think about God, like, big fan, I'll, remind me and I'll write it on the board later. Um, but Psalm 82 talks about what happened when God divided mankind according to the sons of God. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. 
Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. And so the piece to me, and again, maybe it's just because I read the book and he like tore up all the Greek and Hebrew and everything in the world, but God is judging spiritual beings in a divine council amongst gods, which freaks us out, so we just ignore it. Um, or actually, most of us just don't read our Bible and like wouldn't ever read this if we're more honest about that fact. And if we do, we just kind of like, yeah, in the midst of the gods, that's fine. All the Casper the Ghost hanging out. Um, and that is our culture. Everything is fake. Everything is fake news. There are no other gods. Our God is God, and that is true, and there is scripture, and we're going to look at that scripture. But to say our God is the God of gods and then to say that no other gods, no other Elohim, no other spirits exist is a joke. I don't look at God and say, you know what, God, you're better than all those ghosts that don't exist. It's almost, it's dishonoring, honestly. And we don't think about it that way. But we also don't really refer to God as the God of gods in our daily lives. And so in this, these gods, these spirits, these Elohim, are first of all called sons of the most high, sons of God most high. Um, there's a lot of other scripture about sons of God, and like we can dig into that more if anybody wants. If you have questions at any point tonight and it doesn't like throw you off from the teaching, write them down. That's what we'll like at the end. I will answer literally anything, and we will all just like talk about literally anything that you're like, that didn't make sense, that blew my mind, I don't believe you. That's fine. Um, but at the end of this judgment, the response is for him to inherit all the nations back to himself. Spoiler alert, uh, that is the point of Jesus coming back, was to fulfill a prophecy and a promise made to Abraham that God would inherit all the nations back to him through his seed. But in this, we're going to look at the flood next. Um, I don't know how many of you have heard me say that I get really mad about the flood because nobody ever told me it had anything to do with other gods, other spirits, and the Nephilim. Um, also mad at myself for just not reading it, so there's that. Um, but before we do that, I think it's important to understand that other spirits, other Elohim, are free-willed beings just like us. <sighs> Satan came in, tempted us at the fall. That's why you'll see most, most of the time it talks about demons. Um, the Hebrew and the Greek word for that, the understanding was always other spirits that followed the devil, followed the enemy, followed Satan. Um, so yes, evil, but more specifically on Satan's side and not God's side. So we're going to look at that, but this idea that Elohim fall, Elohim disobey as well. And they're supposed to be the sons of the Most High, princes of God who rule justly over the nations. Genesis 6, 1 through 7, the general understanding is the flood happened after the Tower of Babel. They're like not chronologically in order in the scripture, but chronologically, Babel, flood. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, Elohim, saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards when the sons of God, Elohim, came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. 
These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. I guess I lied. This is the prequel to the flood. We're not going to read the actual flood part. God floods the earth because the Elohim have come down and slept with man and corrupted humanity. Right? We see it start in th Genesis 3 where the fall happens, where the enemy comes and he says, okay, you know what we're going to do with this new being, this new creation, this new family that God told to go make paradise through all the earth. He says, go spread Eden everywhere. Go be fruitful and multiply. And they sleep with them and have children to them. And uh, scholars kind of argue about like maybe the angels and other spirits like can't actually have sex so they just like created these things. I don't really want to like fight that tonight but if you want the scripture they fight about write it down and remind me after. Yeah. So you know if you want to fight actually just find Luke after. Don't even don't even bother. We don't need scripture. Just fight. Um, <laughs> fists only. But God literally, like, regrets making man. To make the God of gods have regrets, have things he changes his mind on, that's that word um, in the Hebrew, is this is a big deal. And this is where, you know, he's divided the nations. They've ruled unjustly, and now they've started to corrupt what he has created. And through Noah, so he restarts with Noah, gives him a new covenant, doesn't, doesn't really work. People are still, you know, they, I only gave you 10 rules. I gave you the 10 commandments and people are still like not like, they, like immediately after they get off the boat to the boat, the ark. Um, and that's where the promise to Abraham comes is generations later, Abraham is full of faith and receives the promise to inherit the nations that were ruled unjustly. So a lot of that is, that's most of the deep theology understanding, things that we miss that we would never really have understood. Um, because we've just been taught that gods don't exist, and other spirits are just like floating demons, like smoke that comes through the ventilations. I see that in a lot of movies. Or things that like make your head pop off and spin sideways. And first of all, gross. <laughs> and second of all, if only it were that obvious also. All right, Deuteronomy 32, 17. I'm going to make... They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. So really the point for this verse, because I know it, I literally just said, like, gods exist. There are also things that we treat as gods that aren't even gods. Like, they don't even have the power of the Elohim that are not the God Most High. And we sacrifice to them, and we worship them, and we uh, change our lives for them. And they have literally no power in our lives. And new gods that had come recently because the Elohim are free-willed beings who can continue to fall and go dig for worship and glory and things that don't belong to them continuously. All right, here, here's the one. The one we've read like four times in a row now. 
Somebody else read this one, Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19. It's a joke to say he is a god of gods if we mean Casper the Friendly Ghost. Also, if we mean like the smoky spirit things, like cool. Yeah, of course, God is more powerful than that. But I also just want to put this in context in case we're not driving it home. Um, God is impartial, does not take bribe, does execute justice for the fatherless and the widow. And takes care of those who are in a temporary place because our God is the God who makes our place temporary and inherits us into his nation and rules justly unlike what was unjust before. This was deep in the worldview of the ancient Israelites and like I can't pick up at least the Old Testament but a lot of times the New Testament and like miss this anymore. Psalm 86 8 through 10. This is just driving home the same point. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. It's also the point of there is none like you among the gods, and you alone are God are the same thing. And we like to think that you alone are God means nothing else is a spiritual being with power in the spiritual realm or to do supernatural things even. Okay, but what does it all mean? What does it all matter? Also, none of this has been New Testament. So what does Jesus do in light of all this besides inherit all the nations? Like that's a big deal. First John 1 through 3, we're actually going to read First John 1 again later because of this is important but we're going to focus on two through three but in context beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from god for many false prophets have gone out into the world by this you know the spirit of god every spirit that confesses that jesus christ has come in the flesh is from god every spirit that does not confess jesus is not from god this is the spirit of the antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. I'm going to hit first the word confess does not just mean say or admit or begrudgingly like, yeah, I guess I did do that. Like to confess and that work in Hebrew and Greek and used to be in English meant a lot more of a full hearted confession and commitment almost to this idea, to this thing. but you're also either in the spirit of God or the spirit of the Antichrist. That's the only two options it gives you right here. And I know Antichrist is also scary because we've also got all the horror movie ideas of like the little baby that like creepy claw hands out the mom's belly, like scary stuff. Luke looked at me like he's never seen one of those movies. They're around. It's gross. American Horror Story does it in, in there. Um, it's terrifying, right? It's not cool. Um, the Antichrist is also like kind of a scary thing anyway. But 
Anti means against, and Christ means anointed one. So you're either the spirit that recognizes Christ, or you're the spirit that comes against Christ. All right, this is kind of why Elohim spiritual beings are split between God and the enemy. You're on one side or the other. You can't really be neutral here. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Somebody else got this one? Two points. You have to put on the armor of God, but the reason the armor of God works in your wrestling and battling against these spirits is because he is the God of gods. Point two, uh, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but rulers and authorities are both words that in Hebrew have spiritual context. They have actual, actually they have local governing spirits in their context because spirits were given governance over localities when the God divided the nations. Um, it drives me nuts when people use this verse to just say like, oh, we just fight the system, brother. Like, yes, the systems are broken and the systems are largely broken because there are evil spirits that are over them and over the people leading them. But your fight is still not against the flesh and blood that fills that system. So how do we wrestle against these spirits? How do we do anything against these Elohim, these gods, these demons? Mark 3, 14 through 15. Somebody else. Fight. All right, cool. This is uh, probably one of the best ways we have to fight against these. Uh, I'm going to use the word principalities. That wasn't the translation, but it's the word that is most easy for me to remember. It's the local authority English word. <laughs> but that's just the 12, right? Like they had authority, cool beans, discontinuation of the spirit and all the powers. R rip, sorry. Mark 16, 16 through 18. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. The twelve? No, those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. They will drink any deadly poison. It will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. You take the supernatural out of Christianity, you take the power of God out of Christianity. You also take the power of God out of you and out of your life. So now we've got two points though, right? God, Jesus gave the authority to the apostles and in this to believers, but you also still have to believe. You have to have faith. Um, in Greek, the word faith and believe are the same thing, just verb noun. Matthew 17, 14 through 20. If you were here last week, I ranted about this in discussion. Somebody else want to grab it? Actually, I know it's long. Got it. 
have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. And when the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. All right. The rant is that we use the mustard seed as encouragement, but it was a rebuke. And that doesn't mean it's not an encouraging rebuke. And oftentimes the rebukes of Jesus are encouraging because he's telling us you could be doing more. Why aren't you? But they've been given the authority to cast out demons already. They just don't believe it. And Jesus does. He, I read this and I always read it as if you actually had faith, you'd be able to move mountains, let alone cast out demons right like casting out demons shouldn't be the cornerstone of your faith this should just be like this and that's a context we've lost a lot of a lot of it's because we don't even believe in demons we don't even believe in other spirits we think they're the floating smoke and like maybe they happen to the one random young catholic girl that i saw in that movie one time and her head spun around um and demons are scary demons are powerful they're throwing this boy into the water and into the fire right and I don't want to play games with demons. I don't want to pretend that they're nothing. I don't want to pretend that they can't do evil, awful things. But I also want to talk about the word possess. Literally, it just it means to have. Like, it means the same thing. It means in every other context. Um, and I tried to, I thought it wouldn't. Like, I looked at the, the Greek and I was like, okay, it's going to mean something else. Like, they're going to have a special word for the possession of demons. No, it, that word is in the Bible like 1,200 times. And it literally is have. It gets translated to possess like once and possessions like tw once. And it's always have or hold, um, which always makes me think like marriage, like to have and to hold, right? <laughs> but this is like to have a demon or for a demon to have you depending on how it's phrased because it's phrased both ways and I'm, I'm okay with that and so to have and to hold close a demon is a dangerous scary thing and we're going to talk about that in a minute we're going to talk about what it is to discern between spirits but I want to look more to at this supernatural at this casting out because I don't think a lot of us have the foundation we should have for it and I think, uh, I mean, in preparing for this, this next piece was something that just like threw me off back and forth for a week and a half before I prayed about it for clarity instead of just like digging at all the scripture and understood that I kind of already had the answer. So look at Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Ouch. 
big ouch actually and i read this and i read this thinking about the verses we just read where i was like okay but you can't cast out demons without like faith and authority right like how does how does this work they don't even like jesus doesn't even know these people right um and so i read it and i read it and i read it and i read it and then i prayed about it and i was brought to philippians 2 8 through 11 because it says cast out demons in your name and we sing all those songs about the power of the name of Jesus and what a beautiful name it is and all of this and I was like is there scripture for that there's also like way more scripture than what we're about to read I just was like having a brain fart I guess in being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <laughs> the name above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And I was like, all right, cool. Problem solved. This worked because the, like, the name of Jesus alone had that power, right? And then, and then I read Acts 19, 13 through 17. I went right back in the same spiral of like, nothing makes sense and the Bible's contradicting itself and I don't know what to do with my life. <laughs> then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. First of all, Jesus never talks to the demons like that. Jesus is like, get out. And these people are like, I adjure you by the Jesus whom, like, things are different already. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. And the evil spirit answered them. That's scary. Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them. So that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. <laughs> I don't know if it hurts more that, like, the demons say, who are you, or, like, Jesus says, who are you? Yikes. Um, but I read this, and I was like, okay, the name of Jesus didn't work. Maybe it doesn't have the power, I thought. Yeah, extolled is like glorified, like lifted high. It's a good thing. Okay. Yeah, That's thanks. I meant to say that. <laughs> like this, this either means. <laughs> and so this is the one like I really like, it was like a whole week where I was like, nothing makes sense and couldn't figure this out. Um, and to a certain degree, there absolutely could be an element of power and authority of the name had the power and the authority and the first people like actually believed in it right but I also in praying about it and kind of got like I'd actually just had a conversation about humans don't work the way I wanted the demons to work in the stories where like I keep thinking of like fake police officers like you get pulled over by a fake police like if you don't know anything about how a police dresses what a police car looks like what police lights look like what they're supposed to do when you pull them like you get pulled over like it's really easy to get tricked and to be told to like, get out of your car and you're like yes police police the name police has authority i get out of my car and then they like drive off with your car or hurt you or something else right 
And so I, I, that's honestly all I think, keep thinking about is this idea that the spirits are starting to know Jesus and they're starting to know better his story, what he's doing and what he's bringing into their realm. And some of them run the second they hear it, like you know, the people who like run from the party when the cops show up. And some of them say, well, I'm just going to pay attention. I'm going to know when it's coming. And I kept reading it and I kept thinking the name of Jesus failed. And then I read it again and I actually read it all the way through. And at the end of all of this, the name of the Lord Jesus is extolled. It's lifted high. It's glorified. Everybody in that town knows you know, like, yeah, they tried to cast it out in the name of Jesus, but, like, the demon knew Jesus' name, and he spoke back. That's a powerful name. That tells me if you actually had the power Jesus had and the power and the authority Jesus gave, that demon would have ran. Read Matthew 12, 43 through 45, because I don't really think we can talk about casting out demons and not talk about this. Um, I think it would <laughs> it would do the scripture a disservice, but it does a lot of danger for all of us and puts us in danger um, of hurting one another. Also, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And it, when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. This looks like talk until you see it happen, and I've seen it happen. Um, I've seen spirit of depression cast out of a girl who was suicidal, and I don't, I don't ever want to put mental health as all spiritual. I think that's dangerous too. I think we don't like actually work on the practical side of things when we do that. But this was a spirit, and this was, we're going to talk about discerning spirits here in a minute. And cast it out, and she went and she um, did some house cleaning, went to therapy, learned to hate herself a little bit, or at least like punish herself a little bit less for all the things she hated herself for. Um, kind of swept, kind of put things back in order, was in that process and just left all this room empty because she really, in the place where you hold a spirit, she didn't hold a spirit. And she just made room. And so she didn't hate herself more, but there was room for anger. And she didn't hate herself as much, but there was room for pride and jealousy and honestly a lot of bitterness. And the state of that person is worse than the first. And so Jesus came I could have used the scripture, I guess. Uh, Jesus came to undo the works of the enemy. I think we actually used it in a teaching sometime in the last week. Uh, yeah, please. But Jesus comes to undo the works of the enemy, right? The purpose of the Son of Man came. It's phrased something like that, if that helps you find it. And so we are to do that too, but if we do that and then we just leave... You're not, you're not killing spirits, you're casting them away. You're saying we won't have you anymore and you can't have us anymore. And so when that person 
isn't in the protection of God afterwards, doesn't have the spirit of God afterwards, it comes back with seven more. Go for it. First John 3, 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, and the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That was First John 3, 8 for the recording. And so I just want to say that we can't also take the supernatural lightly. We can't take our power lightly. I think um, for, I, for most of the people in this room, most people in this group, like none of us really grew up in super charismatic circles. We grew up on the side that said like gods don't exist. There are no other spirits. Demons are from horror movies. On the charismatic side, we just like lay hands on everyone and everything and say everything is a spirit. And we cast out whatever we want and we ignore the scripture that says to be careful of how and when you lay on hands not to mention that part but we also don't a lot of times when you take that attitude you don't follow up and so when you are casting things out that shouldn't be there what then I'm going to go back to 1 John 4 1 we're going to talk about discernment and talk about what it takes to discern, what it takes to know when something is spiritual and what that spirit is and where it comes from. First John 4 through 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Um, I think it's important that this is plural because literally like the next sentence that we read earlier it's not plural that's the spirit of god and this is spirits god still uses spirits like not every single elohim has become a demon um there are verses that talk about the angels as ministering spirits to those who are being saved i believe is how it's phrased and so spiritual things can happen that are good <laughs> like but we have to be able to tell whether or not it's from God. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Somebody else want to grab this? So I thought about just like saying, by the way, distinguishing of spirits is a manifestation of the spirit, but I think it's important that we don't just gloss over the rest looking for the point that we're trying to make. Uh, because the spirit manifests in all these ways, and one of them is to distinguish between spirits, but also the purpose of this is for the common good. You won't distinguish between spirits unless it's a manifestation of the spirit. It's, I think of it, I look at a lot of, um, through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom. Like, yeah, okay, you can have wisdom without the spirit of God, but the wisdom of man is folly to God, right? And so you can have some kind of discernment without God, but it's not going to be true discernment that comes from the spirit of truth. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 14. 
Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. <laughs> it takes the spirit and without the spirit it's folly. Uh, I think that's the point I was saying earlier but that's there's the scripture for it of But God also gives this to us freely. I think a lot of the verse of like, ask and it will be given to you, knock and you shall find, or knock and you'll get an answer. Uh, sorry. The door will be open. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure it has to do with actually like, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> knock and the door will be open. Um, but the father gives freely and he gives good gifts to his children. But you can't really receive them if you haven't received the spirit of God and not the spirit of the world or the spirit of the Antichrist. Colossians 2, 8, we're going to talk about, you discern through the spirit. Um, we'll talk at the end about training up that discernment. But, like, what are you supposed to be looking for, right? Like, what are you supposed to, and you can ask God and you can ask the spirit and it will be freely given to you. But what are you even supposed to be paying attention to know when to ask? I think is my big question when I read all these. So Colossians 2, 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Watch for anything that tries to take you captive. I think just like, first of all, general good rule of thumb. Um, if something is trying to have or possess you, problem. But also philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition, elemental spirits. These are things we're trying to discern against, but they're also signs. When we start to notice tradition, do we pay attention and do we say, why do we do that? Is it empty? Is it a lie? What is it based on? And I think both are dangerous, both take you captive. Uh, but the elemental, the, the spirits of the world also have a free will. And that makes them more dangerous because you also have a free will to like follow the traditions and do things you shouldn't do. But now there's two involved. First Timothy four through five. Uh, somebody else grab this one. I think it was easy to read the Colossians verses and like keep it out of church and just think about like, yes, all the lies that people believe. Um, and then you get to tradition, you're like, yeah, okay, churches have traditions too. I think it's a little bit harder to take this one and not see that it's in our churches, to not see that it's in our traditions, honestly, the ones we grew up in, maybe the ones we're still in, maybe the ones we think about joining and we see on a Sunday. 
Are there rules? Are there laws? Are there forbiddances? Um, this is a whole other teaching on its own, but a lot of spirits are trying to put you back under the law, back under something where you earn your righteousness because the thing that is most freely given to you is the righteousness of God through Christ. Right? So most spirits, if they're trying to get their own glory, they're saying, follow these rules. Seek your righteousness here. Don't seek it through Christ. Don't seek it through God. You need to earn it. So don't marry. Don't eat meat. Don't eat things that have three hooves. Don't eat whatever they want it to be. And instead, we have the power to make things holy by the word of God and prayer. We don't get to just do that like haphazardly, like I'm going to go put a bunch of drugs in my body because I'm going to say God technically created the parts that the drug started as and then be like, but I prayed over it so it's fine. Like I talked to the wall and everything's cool. Oh well, that's eighty percent of when we're praying. We're we're like we're processing out loud, and if God happens to hear it, that's fine. But we're not talking to God. We're not expecting to hear from God. We're not communicating with Him in the way set out before us, standing in our righteousness that He gave us, looking at His will. We're saying, yeah, I would really like to do this heroin right now. I hope you're okay with that, God. It seems like a good idea to me. <laughs> and then we, like, don't even wait. Like, even if we were, like, really talking to God, like, we're not even waiting to hear from God. We're just like... We're just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but the other point I want to make, I know you've heard this rant probably at some point. Maybe not. You're going to now. Word of God does not mean scripture, does not mean the Bible. The Bible can absolutely be a vessel for the word of God. The word of God refers to God's manifestation to his people. Jesus is the word. That's like the whole beginning of John, right? The, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the word. But before Jesus, in the Old Testament, the word, appears, the word is God appearing in human form. The word is God speaking to his prophets. The word is God meeting with Moses on the mountain and writing on the tablets. The tablets only get to be the word of God because literally like the hand of God wrote the words, right? And so scripture is the word of God when God speaks to you through it. Or scripture is the vessel for the word of God, I should say, when God speaks to you through it. And so we can't just be like, I read scripture over this and talked to the wall and now it's holy. The spirit inside of us that manifests God and speaks to us and moves us and us actually communicating on a two-way street with God is what makes things holy. Because you're probably not going to have the spirit manifest itself and be talking to God and then decide to put heroin in your body. I feel like that's fair. But you might, you might decide to eat bacon. I think a lot about Peter had a vision where a sheet came down with all the hooved animals they weren't supposed to eat. And God said, eat. And he said, I would never look at these things are unclean. And God said, do not call unclean what the Lord has made holy, what the Lord has made clean. And so that's where a lot of spirits come in is to try to set rules on your life, to set things that make you more or less righteous, more or less justified, where you ought to be. And the only place you ought to be is in the spirit of the Lord, thankful that you have it and humbled by the fact that you have it. Romans 8, 15 through 16. 
we read this verse a lot. I think it's an important verse, set of verses. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I think if we're trying to learn to discern between spirits, we start with scripture. We start with scripture, but we don't just like read the Bible and then put it aside. Atheists do that too. Congrats. We start with scripture and we ask God to speak. We ask to receive the word of God through the scripture because we know that the people who wrote it were anointed to do so by the same spirit that speaks to us through it. Right? We have trust in that. Even if we don't have trust in the entire human process, I know the Bible went through like a bazillion editor's hands. I think it's worthwhile to know those things, to study those things, to have educated opinions on those things, but educated prayerful opinions on those things. But I think you start with scripture and you start to say, okay, it's either the spirit of God or the spirit of the Antichrist. It's either the spirit of slavery and fear or the spirit of adoption as sons. It's either the spirit of rules and laws and don't eat this, don't do that, don't marry them. I almost said that. Don't marry that either. You know, don't eat this. Or it's the spirit of give thanks to God for what he has given you and what is available to you. And so if you're learning that, if you're starting to figure that out, start with the scripture. Start here. Start at when God says, my spirit looks like this and other spirits that are against me look like this. Pay attention. Practice paying attention. Pay attention to the things that make you feel like a slave and that make you feel captive and to the things that make you feel like a son who was adopted and who a covenant was written for in the blood of Christ. Or a daughter who was adopted and the covenant was written for the blood of Christ. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, this is the verse I feel like I probably should have just read it at the beginning, so that's my bad, because I've referenced it a lot. About this, we have much to say, this being like literally the entirety of Jesus. That's what is before it in Hebrews 5. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so when I started tonight, I told you, like, if you're a new Christian, if you feel like a baby Christian, like, don't zone out. Don't tell yourself you can't handle this. Part of the reason I say that is because it's okay to start on milk. Like, infants start on milk. But God is always wanting to bring you to meat. And the way you wean a child is, like, to actually start to feed it while it's still drinking milk. Right? Like, otherwise kids just wouldn't eat. It's not, not, you, you can go cold turkey from cigarettes, probably not from breast milk. And so, what do you, what do you, I, th I read this verse and it's really easy to be like, you're either eating meat or you're eating milk. Like, those are your options. You're either a grown-up Christian, you're a baby Christian, that's it. But it's right in there also, what you do to get to the point of having the power of discernment trained is in, which is equal to solid food and maturity, is in a constant practice to distinguish good from evil. 
And I don't think you can distinguish good from evil without understanding that there are evil spirits. That understanding that there is an antichrist and a spirit of the antichrist that comes against Jesus and what he's done for us and our adoption and the inheritance of all the nations. Um, I think we sometimes separate like our adoption and the inheritance of all the nations. And I think those two points are what bring what is so individual to realize that it is also universal. That God didn't just, like God did save you and that is beautiful, but God also re-inherited literally the entirety of the nations after they were already like real messed up by the people who were supposed to be ruling the people, the spirits that were supposed to be ruling them justly, teaching them to glorify God because they should have been glorifying God. And so practice, distinguish, pay attention to the scripture, pray over the scripture. We talked about this at Molly's teaching on Friday in the discussion, but we can teach all night and you can read your Bible all night and I can read you verses all night. And if you don't go home and pray about it and not talk to the wall, pray and ask God to reveal it and ask him to do something with it, it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't really do you any good. That's why I don't like to call scripture alone the word of God because there are too many atheists that read it and aren't moved. You can't hear the word of God and not be moved. And if you hear the word of God and know it's the word of God and aren't moved, like, I, rip. (laughs) I'm pretty sure there's, scripture about how awful that is actually but I couldn't think of the actual scriptural language so we're going with rip but the other thing too is God wants you to be heading towards solid food he's not going to sit around and condemn you for not being on milk or for being on milk and I don't care how long you've been on milk the point is he wants you on spiritual meat he wants you moving towards spiritual meat and he's also not going to ask you to cold turkey your milk You still have to learn about God's love. You still have to learn what it means to be adopted. You still have to learn um, Hebrews 6, like right after this. I hate that there's a chapter break between Hebrews 5 and 6. Sorry. 6 starts with a therefore. When you read a therefore, you ask what it's there for. There shouldn't be a chapter break. That's my rant. But it lists the elementary principles of Christ. If you don't know those, look at those, see those. If you don't know those, it's okay Figure them out. Study them. Ask questions. That's what we're here for. That's that's what you have a body for, is so that every joint can supply those things. But start there. But don't be afraid of the meat. Don't be afraid to try solid foods. Don't. I keep saying meat, and I'm pretty sure that's a different set of scripture. Um. Don't be afraid to try solid foods. You are more capable than you think, and God will grow you more than you think when you start trying. 